Hello and welcome to Alert, radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Ashley Titterton. And I'm Michael Welch. We come to you from CJUM, our broadcast studio in Winnipeg, and we welcome our listeners across the country hearing us through our affiliated campus and community radio stations. This week on Alert, we will be speaking with a few of the speakers presenting at this year's Left Forum, taking place at Pace University in New York City, which begins Friday, March 16th. We'll speak with academic and writer Barbara Epstein about the need for the return of socialist humanism within the framework of left movements. We'll speak with public activist and intellectual Joel Covell about the need to live without money. And we'll hear from longtime activist George Katsiafikas about the North American Occupy movement from a global perspective. First, here are the alert headlines for the week of March 15, 2012. A breach of conflict of interest legislation may cost Rob Ford his seat and ban him from running in the next election. An application submitted to the Ontario Superior Court alleges the Toronto mayor breached the Municipal Conflict of Interest Act at a February council meeting by speaking and voting on an item that financially benefited him. At the meeting, Ford asked council to rescind a decision made by the Provincial Integrity Minister last summer that imposed restrictions on him for using his councillor letterhead to solicit donations for his Rob Ford Football Foundation. Lawyer Clayton Ruby, who has brought forward the application, justifies his case saying, quote, It's not as if Mayor Ford is a novice counselor who can walk in and say this was an error in judgment. He knows the legislation, end quote. The Toronto Star reported earlier this week that the federal and Alberta governments formed a secret committee with an oil lobby group to coordinate promotional efforts of oil sands development in Canada. The committee was struck in early 2010 and was headed up by the president of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, deputy ministers from the federal departments of Natural Resources and Environment Canada, as well as Alberta Energy and Alberta Environment. The Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers represents 150 oil and gas companies. Clayton Thomas Muller of the Indigenous Environmental Network said, quote, the fact that the Harper government and oil companies are conspiring behind closed doors is another indication the Alberta tar sands environmental costs, human rights violations, and massive carbon emissions have become an international embarrassment. After being pushed back from a scheduled vote last week, the Conservatives' crime bill passed in the House of Commons this week. At the time of recording, Bill C-10 was under review by, Senate, by the Senate, which is currently dominated by Conservatives and is expected to pass without further delay as early as this week. The Conservatives' crime bill has been widely criticized for neglecting the importance of preventative approaches to crime, running against 30 years of evidence in the, in the United States, adding more people to already overcrowded jails and costing the provinces anywhere up to $1 billion to implement. A vote to quickly approve the Keystone XL pipeline in the United States Senate was barely defeated last week. The motion needed 60 votes to pass, but failed on a vote of 56 to 42. While President Obama is generally supportive of the pipeline, he did not give the project presidential approval earlier this year, but will review the project again when it is submitted with a new route for the pipeline. The Environmental Protection Agency estimates the Keystone XL pipeline could potentially increase carbon pollution by 27 million metric tons of carbon dioxide. The Israeli army and border police forces suppressed an International Women's Day demonstration in the West Bank. As the demonstrators were nearing the checkpoint at Kalandia, they were hit with stun grenades, a water cannon, tear gas and rubber-coated bullets. Protesters were marching in support of Hana Shalabi, a West Bank woman on a hunger strike while being held under administrative detainment and placed in solitary confinement by Israeli military forces. Shalabi had previously been held for over two years without formal charges and was released last fall with over 1,000 Palestinian prisoners in exchange for one Israeli soldier. Shalabi was rearrested last month. Trade unions in Spain called for a general strike to be held on March 29th in response to imposed austerity measures and attacks on labor by the government. The labor reforms made last month, which make it easier and cheaper to fire workers, is the most regressive reform 
in the history of democracy in Spain, according to Ignacio Toxo, General Secretary of the Workers' Commissions. As a result of the imposed 13 billion euro deficit reduction package, regional governments have been cutting back on education, health care, and other essential services. Lakota members formed a human blockade last week to stop tar sands pipeline trucks from entering their territory. Five members were arrested and charged with disorderly conduct. The Native News Network reports that the trucks, operated by the Calgary-based Transportation Services, Inc., were attempting to pass through Lakota land to avoid paying state highway tolls in South Dakota. According to a Lakota action alert, the trucks were refusing to turn around, claiming they have corporate rights that supersede any other law. In response, the Eagle Butte Tribal Council voted to also form a human blockade if these trucks attempt to pass through their land, which is just north of Lakota Territory. Those are the alert headlines for this week. Now for Around the Left for the week of March 15, 2012. In Vancouver, unceded Coast Salish territories, come join a community march against racism on March 18th. The march will begin at 2 o'clock p.m. at Clark Park, the corner of Commercial and 14th, and will end at Grandview Park at Commercial and Charles. Collectively, join friends and allies around the world to mark the International Day for the Elimination of Racism and to speak the truth about racism. We know of the historic injustices this country was founded on, and today we urgently need a renewed anti-racist consciousness as examples of institutional racism abound. There will be family-friendly festivities. Bring your neighbors, banners, and drums. For more information, email nooneisilegalvancouver at noii-van at resist.ca. For those in Toronto, on March 23rd at 8.30 a.m., attend the conference Global Economic Crisis and Canadian Austerity, Perception versus Reality taking place at Ryerson University at 55 Dundas Street West in Toronto. This conference will examine the full effects of the global economics crisis and its implications for Canada. In what ways has international instability affected Canada? What are the characteristics, politics and forms of resistance to Canadian version of austerity? How should progressives respond? For more information on panels and speakers or to register, go to canadianausterity.eventbrite.ca. The 2012 Water Forum Shared Water, Shared Legacy reminds us that Toronto is part of the Great Lakes community and there's an increasing need to protect our shared water commons from pollution, exploitation and privatization. The Water Forum will take place March 24th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Steelworkers Hall, 25 Cecil Street in Toronto. Topics will include attack on our aquifers, a First Nations perspective, women's roles and responsibilities to life and water, and water as a human right, among others. Cost is $10 or pay what you can. Lunch will be provided. Please RSVP to torontochapter at gmail.com. On Saturday, April 7th, in Winnipeg, the Canada-Palestine Support Network presents Dance Down the Wall 7, an event to help raise funds for humanitarian aid and relief efforts in Gaza Strip and elsewhere in Palestine. Dance Down the Wall will take place from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. at Low Pub at 330 Kennedy Street and will feature music by DJ Co-op, Clash, and Cooks, and others. Admission is $10. For more information, search for the event page on Facebook or email canpalnetwinnipeg at yahoo.ca. For those in Winnipeg, on April 22nd, take to the streets for the 9th Annual 7th Generation Walk for Mother Earth in support of grassroots Indigenous-led campaigns to preserve the Earth for future generations. There will be speakers at Central Park from 1 to 2 p.m., followed by a walk to the Forks via Memorial Park. The walk will arrive at the Uudina Circle at the Forks at 3.30 p.m. for the annual spring water ceremony and a free picnic. This is a garbage-free family event. Bring drums, banners, cups, plates, and voices. That's all for Around the Left for this week. Continuing to give our listeners a taste of what's in store at the coming Left Forum, we have with us on the line Barbara Epstein, who teaches at University of California, 
Santa Cruz in the History of Consciousness Department and writes on social movements. And uh, she is going to be presenting at a panel called The Return of Socialist Humanism and the Need for an Alternative. So uh, welcome to Alert, Barbara Epstein. Thank you. Okay, could you maybe explain uh, the subject that you'll be discussing uh, uh, this weekend? Well, I'm going to be talking about the perspective of international circles of left intellectuals in the late 50s and early 60s who were developing a perspective that they described as either Marxist humanism or socialist humanism. The terms were used more or less interchangeably. That was a perspective that was linked to the Cold War, um, to opposition to the Cold War, and it was linked to opposition, a critique of the Soviet Union, and the hope for a socialist society that would be actually democratic, um, unlike the Soviet Union. The question that I'm going to be addressing is, why did that perspective disappear? Why did it get eclipsed? in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, Why has it largely disappeared from the vocabulary of the left, and what what might we learn from it? So I am presenting this, um, you know, I'm not sure whether the title of the panel suggests uh, an alternative to socialist humanism or an alternative to something else. I see socialist humanism as an alternative to some conceptions of left politics that have taken its place. Could you expand a little bit on, on why uh, the uh, this Marxist uh, uh, humanism or socialist humanism was abandoned by the left uh, in that time period you mentioned? Well, I would say it was abandoned because the war in Vietnam and the Sino-Soviet split changed everything. What they changed before the Vietnam War, the issue that dominated the left, the two issues that dominated the left were the Cold War and the need to bring it to an end. And disappointment with the Soviet Union and the need for a conception of socialism that would include democracy. Um, And then the war in Vietnam burst upon us and... Uh, between the war in Vietnam and the rise of the of Chinese communism as the uh, the center of the international left, or at least the, the claim to being the center of the international left, anti-imperialism became the focus of left thinking, um, rather than the socialist humanism of the late fifties and early sixties. Could you maybe expand on that point? I mean, the socialist humanism versus versus what liberal humanism? What 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 well, is the distinction? Well, it isn't really socialist humanism versus liberal humanism, though certainly socialist humanism is different than liberal humanism. But um, the point was that socialist humanism was in favor of peaceful coexistence. Um, it was in favor of an end to war. The idea was that if the Cold War Uh, could be dismantled, there could be powerful movements for genuine socialism, both in the Soviet Union and in the West. That was the hope. Um, People who were associated with this, by the way, were people like E.P. Thompson in Britain, in the United States, Eric Fromm, Raya Dunayevskaya. And so the view was that it was the Cold War that was holding repressive structures in place. Uh, on both sides of the, uh, both East and West. And so there were a lot of people who were associated with socialist or Marxist humanism who were involved in the peace movements at the time and who saw in the peace movements the potential for movements for broader social change. So it's your opinion then that, uh, that, that maintaining uh, that socialist humanism uh, perspective that it, it it needs to be reinvigorated within uh, uh, these left and and radical movements. That's right. Do you uh, when you look uh, around the world because there have been movements uh, you know in South America and and elsewhere. Do you see anything uh, geographically that tends to booster bolster the case? Well, I think there have been. I would say, for instance, that the sensibility of the early civil rights movement in the United States, even though it wasn't explicitly socialist, 
was very close to the same kind of sensibility. The idea of building a society that would not only be democratic in the formal sense, but that would be a genuinely egalitarian society in which there would not only be um, uh, solidarity, but also uh, that individuals could thrive, creativity would thrive. I think that kind of hope was central to the civil rights movement. I suspect that one could find the same kind of thing in liberation theology Hmm. in Central America. You know, in a way, it also harks back to uh, more utopian strains in socialism. Hmm. You know, in which, and it, 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 it seems to me also to have a resonance with anarchism, with the idea that our politics has to be closely linked to, it has to express the values of the society that we want. Barbara, given that we live in an era of social networking, the internet, mass media, uh, do you really see those forces as enabling or detracting from that uh, reinvigorating, reinvigoration of, of a humanist vision? Uh, the, you mean... Uh, the internet, uh, communications technology, that kind of thing. Yes, of course. Well, I think, unfortunately, it's not a choice, if you see what I mean. Um, I I think we've got those forms of communication, and the question is what we do with them. I think that there are enormous dangers to those forms of communication. I think that they, uh, they, they, they can separate people. They can also be used to build community, but I don't think we've figured out yet how to do that. Okay. Well, Barbara Epstein, uh, these sound like, sounds like a very fascinating talk. Is there anything more you'd like to say uh, about the, the forum itself that uh, you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Well, um, I think that uh, Kevin is likely to talk about the forms of left theory that have led away from socialist humanism. Um, That's a fellow panelist? Yes, yes. Kevin Anderson is Mm -hmm. another one of the panelists and the organizer of the panel, and where I tend to talk more about the political forces that um, uh, the eclipsed socialist humanism, Kevin is likely to talk more about the developments in theory that led in different and uh, less promising directions. Okay. Well, um, Barbara Epstein, we really appreciate your insights. Uh, All the best in the coming forum, and thank you for sharing your uh, views with us on Alert. Thank you. Alert has been speaking with Barbara Epstein. She teaches at the University of California, Santa Cruz, in the History of Consciousness Department and writes on social movements. Her most recent book is The Minsk Ghetto, 1941 to 1943. Jewish Resistance and Soviet Internationalism. Another panel discussion taking place at this weekend's Left Forum talk is called Occupy the World, Life Without Money. To explain what that talk is all about, Alert has reached the chair of that discussion, Joel Covell. Kovel is a physician and political activist and writer. He edits the journal Capitalism, Nature, Socialism and co-founded the Eco-Socialist Network. Welcome to Alert, Joel. I'm very pleased to be uh, talking to you now. Okay, could you explain the subject of the panel that you are chairing? Okay, let me, let me, a little caveat. I am definitely chairing the panel, and I want to be very active in it, but the panel is actually the brainchild of an Australian woman named Anitra Nelson and her friend Franz Timmerman, who have um, uh, just published a book called Life Without Money. It's a collection of articles. I, I you know, I've uh, endorsed the book and uh, in broad agreement with what they're doing, but I, I want to give her the full credit for it. I did not organize the panel. But uh, the panel is just about that, which is to have how we can and what the tradition is and the possibilities are for building a world in which uh, we're no longer enslaved by, you know, the money power. 
And uh, that's a very complicated question because uh, money seems perfectly transparent, but actually it's enormously mysterious and, and, and difficult to comprehend. You know, mm-hmm. where does it arise from? What does it really mean? Uh, we know that it holds us in its power. We know that, that human beings are, are basically slaves to it. And once we get hooked up in the money system, particularly through indebtedness, uh, it tends to dominate our lives. So the question is, is as part of a emancipated uh, world, a world that is free from the money power, which, not to put it too finely, is capital. Capital is, is you know, money in motion. Uh, how, how can we do that uh, without also changing the nature of the currency? And the people who will be uh, speaking at the panel, about five of them, and really a broad range of voices, uh, a number of them are, are women, and uh, kind of a feminist critique of uh, the money system. Uh, Nietzsche Nelson herself will be giving a panel, a, a discussion. My friend uh, Ariel Soleil from Australia, who's what we call an eco-feminist, uh, will be presenting it as well. So um, I'm not going to uh, prejudge the panel because uh, it's going to be largely the work of these creative scholars. I'm going to introduce it, say a few things about money. I'm going to be listening to them, and then I'm going to be commenting on what they say okay. and uh, leading the discussion. Okay. Uh, can you talk about uh, what you expect to be contributing going in? Yeah, what I expect to contribute going in is, is uh, some perception of the, the depth of the problem that uh, money is uh, uh, not something which arose the way uh, you know Adam Smith or the economists uh, claimed uh, that it arose, namely you know as a result of rationalizing economies that use barter, but you know, it deals with a much more fundamental problem, which is in part a spiritual problem, because uh, money is, is uh, uh, you know, also seen as kind of a god, and, and there's a, a power over, over us. We should never forget, and I'll make this point in my introduction, that uh, probably the most uh, notorious thing that, that Jesus ever did was go into the uh, the great temple of Herod in, in, in Rome, and and, uh, and knock over the, the tables of the money changers because the temple had become a site of economic activity. But really, temples always were sites of markets, and, uh, and uh, so there was a fusion between the religious function and the and the economic function of money. And, and uh, uh, the Gospels are full of, of uh, deep criticism of that. You cannot serve God or Mammon. Luke and, and that mammon uh, in this case is, is the money power. So you know, if you want to serve the spiritual forces of the universe, you cannot at the same time serve the financial forces of the market. And when when Jesus knocked over those tables, he, you know, which, which was quite a remarkable act, he was he was he was acting for the uh, exploited and displaced peasants of uh, Galilee and the. the Rural areas, because he was a you know a rural Palestinian Jew, and uh, he was he, he was speaking for them because they were tremendously oppressed, very much as farmers today are oppressed by banks and uh, uh, and by indebtedness. Well, you're talking Roman about you're talking about historical events, and now you're just mentioning uh, the farmers. I mean, could you? Uh, explain maybe in a little bit more detail why sure. now does this uh, the, these historical events seem to be oh, why rising? Now? Yeah. Oh well, you know, first of all, it's always, but now in particular because the uh, tremendous uh, collapse and, and, and crisis of world capitalism uh, has to do with the the breakdown of what we call financialization. Capitalist system was always dominated by the money interest, but over the last 30 years, there's been extraordinary expansion of very, very dubious, uh, you know, investment strategies, particularly involving indebtedness and uh, much of the world, certainly the United States, uh, very, very fishy loans that people took out of their on their on their homes and mortgages. And that the leading edge of the current economic crisis 
has to do with uh, banks and, and finance and, and the enormous toll that, that banks are exacting from the lives of uh, the ordinary people. And that's, but that's, you know, that's certainly not a new feature. It, 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 it certainly arises way back in the biblical period, and it's been the, the story of class society throughout, where there's always this financial component, and the people are uh, crushed under debts and taxes. And, and uh, that's uh, what we have to contend with now, just as they had to contend with it then. And so the purpose of the panel is to think of creative alternatives. These alternatives are not technical alternatives, you know, but the ways in which we can change the way that money functions, that it would also enable genuinely, you know, egalitarian and radical social alternatives to flourish. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'll, I'll try to set that, set that discussion in this broad historical Okay, Joel. Well, we really thank you for uh, that. Those perspectives on this particular panel. Is uh, there maybe uh, any last uh, points you want to make? Well, about I, I just want to put in a plug for another panel. I've also recently founded um, an organization called Eco Socialist Horizon. That's different from the Eco Socialist International Network because Eco Socialism is what I believe in as the alternative to the capitalist system and nature destroying system. And people who are interested in that can go to the website, which is one word, ecosocialisthorizons.com, C-O-M, and find out all about what we're attending. One of the other panels I'm working on uh, just very directly is a panel from Ecosocialist Horizons. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we Thank appreciate you. that preview. Okay. And that, Yes. Joel Covell is a Brooklyn-born physician and political activist. He edits the journal Capitalism, Nature, Socialism since 2003 and has co-founded the Eco-Socialist International Network. Left Forum is an annual gathering of left progressives and activists, organizations, and other interested people. It is the largest gathering of its kind in the United States. As it states on their website, Continuing a tradition begun in the 1960s, we bring together intellectuals and organizers to share perspectives, strategies, experience, and vision. For the U.S. and the world, revitalizing an American left has never been more urgent. Left Forum has a critical to role to play in that undertaking. Pace University in New York City hosts Left Forum 2012. Scores of workshops and panels are being set up to take on some of the unique challenges facing the left today. And now, um, joining us to talk about uh, a panel called North American Occupy Movement in a Global Perspective is the chair of that panel. His name is George Katsiafikas. Uh, George Katsiafikas is a longtime activist whose writings include books on the global uprising of 1968 and European social movements. Hello, George. Welcome to Alert. Hello, and thanks for having me. Okay, so tell us about this, uh, this panel that you're presiding over. Could you explain briefly the points you intend to raise in that talk? Sure. I, I think many of us have seen the tremendous impact that Occupy Wall Street has had here in the United States, and we're very encouraged by that. What I will try to do is talk about previous waves of synchronized uprisings that occurred without central organization. I'm thinking particularly of the disarmament movement of the early 1980s, a wave of East Asian uprisings. I've uh, documented in my forthcoming book, Asia's Unknown Uprisings, the revolts against Soviet regimes in Eastern Europe, the alter-globalization wave around February 15, 2003's anti-war mobilization, and the Arab Spring of 2011. These previous instances give us insight into the fact that from the grassroots a global movement envisions a new world and seeks to implement it. Is there anything uh, specific to Occupy that distinguishes it from these other movements that you've mentioned? I think that the uh, focus 
on the one percent you know that the we are the ninety nine percent is a very important statement that calls into question the entire global capitalist system we can see that developing in the alter globalization wave of mobilizations when from beginning in seattle really with the uh... 1999 protests, a high level of visibility was given to people confronting elite summits from the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, the World Economic Forum, uh, the World Elite in Davos, the Summit of the Americas uh, in Quebec City in April 2001, uh, and G8 meeting in Geneva. Uh, you know, these anti-globalization uh, or ultra-globalization protests occurred even earlier, much earlier, beginning in Berlin in 1988, Caracas 1989, huge mobilizations, hundreds of people killed in Venezuela in 1989. And, uh, you know, this movement has been growing. We've seen in uh, Cochabamba in Bolivia, in Arequipa in Peru, uh, people fighting back against privatization of communal natural resources and winning significant victories. So the, the you know, Occupy Wall Street has crystallized out of all these struggles and taken it to a higher level. Mm. Well, given what you know about uh, these popular movements historically, is it possible for you to extrapolate ahead and, and to see what we can reasonably expect in 2012? That is, a, of course, a very good question. Unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball. I've been shopping around and looking for one. There seem to be two schools of thought here. One is that the uh, movement is going to reappear with the warm weather. And the other, of course, is that the demobilization of the Occupy Wall Street movement has meant the end of this particular moment of confrontation and occupation. My own sense is that the struggle has moved to different arenas, particularly to the university campuses and to the workplaces. I think that we're going to see in the United States uh, a student movement emerge, unlike uh, we've seen in, in, let's say, since the movement uh, to stop sweatshops, when uh, very suddenly on hundreds of college campuses, students rose up to stop sweatshops from being used to produce their logos on T-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, I also think it's very possible that uh, outside of the structures of the union movement, workers will mobilize directly against many of the problems that they face in the workplaces. Could you expand on that point? Well, I think, unfortunately, I mean, I've, I'm a member of a teacher's union. I've been a member of the teacher's union for almost 30 years. And I think I speak for many people that I know when I say that the union doesn't really have a sense of the revulsion many of us have with, for instance, the corporatization of the universities. And so if a movement against the corporatization of the universities were to emerge, I don't know that the unions would have much to do with it. I think many of us faculty would participate in such a movement, if it, particularly if it came from the grassroots from the students. And I think in general, in the workplaces, in the neighborhoods, uh, people's revulsion with the attack on our the quality of our everyday lives, uh, cutbacks in uh, public transportation in Boston. They're, you know, they're talking major cutbacks in bus and subway service here. Uh, they've tacked on hundreds of millions of dollars to the public transport system's debt in order to build more highways, the big dig. So I think people are really dissatisfied with this, and none of the existing political parties, unions, major organizations have their pulse on the popular sentiment so that autonomous protests will increasingly erupt. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, though, I mean, given that prevailing institutions, uh, the corporate corporations, the banks, seem so dominant, what do you see as, as the best-case scenario, realistically, under those conditions where, where this movement could ultimately end us up? 
Well, for instance, Bank of America tried to institute a fee for using debit cards, and uh, really from the margins, from uh, without organization almost, an Internet campaign stopped the Bank of America dead in its tracks in trying to do that. And so very small changes like that have a greater meaning for people who feel they've won a victory. Once people begin to feel that they can win, the possibilities for mobilization become greater and greater. Now, I'm not optimistic that we can overthrow the capitalist system, uh, certainly not without major visionary leadership emerging that would provide an alternative vision of how such a society could be organized. But we see even that emerging from the grassroots in the World Social Forum, uh, despite the fact that you know the delegates are not really uh, permitted to wage campaigns or to take political positions from the grassroots people's notions that another world is possible is a very powerful force at this point in history okay those are very uh, fascinating insights and uh, certainly it'd be interesting for uh, people at the conference to to hear them is there anything else about the forum itself you'd like to uh, mention before you go? Well, there is something that's uh, promising. Last year, uh, or was it two years ago, I'm sorry, my memory, as I get older, fades into oblivion, was really uh, disappointing in, in the fact that very few young people participated. This year, I expect there will be many more young people who will participate. And there is even a notable anarchist presence that will exist at, the, at, this, at this gathering. So we're talking about really injecting the left forum with a great deal of uh, hopefully fresh, useful energy that will provide, that will help, uh, let's say, take the left forum uh, out of some of the uh, patterns it too has fallen into and move toward a more activist orientation. George Katsiafikas, we really thank you for this uh analysis and uh, all the best in the uh, forum onward with the struggle thank you very much solidarity is our uh, mitch podolik would say i've been speaking with george katsiafikas longtime activist and uh, who has written on the global uprising of 1968 and european social movements Hi, this is Mitch Pollock. This is Music is a Weapon. And this week's show is about something I really don't like at all, and that's nuclear power. Some people might look at me and say, well, he's a dinosaur. You're a dinosaur. Personally, I'd, I'd rather be known as a chicken. Here is Waldy with Hot Rock. boarded a boat in a border town. It was the only job I found. Running Hot Rocks to the USA. The compass went weird Up on a reef and over she reared Lying in a shallow resting place Now there's hot rocks filling the bay And that was for the fishing they say Lying in the stillness The memory fades Stillness all Trailing losses, Lord. Now there's high. 
working like they're sleeping. But hard rocks never break down. A farmer's swear, as only farmers can. You can't. He'll have me well guarded by night and by day With the soldiers on land and with sailors at sea No one can tame me, I'll be restless, I warn If he tries to lock me in his house down in Cairn Tooraloo, Tooraloo I cripple and maim and cause death and decay Such a beautiful country I see all around Where people and flowers and fishes abound I'll change the tall scene in five seconds, I warn If I once escape from that house down in Cairn Tooraloo, I'll cripple and maim and cause death and decay I'll poison all children and I'll poison your dog I'll poison all creatures and Lancian bog I'll devastate Ireland from Killarney to Larne If I once escape from that house down in Cairn Tooraloo, Tooraloo I'll cripple and maim and cause death and decay I know of three sources called wind, rain and sun Powerful are they, but they're also great fun Treat them with respect and they'll do you no harm 
They'll work for you free every day down in Cairn Toralay. They won't cripple or maim or cause death or decay. So to all you good people, I'll make the strong plea. Go tell your minister to let me go free. If you don't try to use me, I'll do you no harm. So don't let him lock me in his house down in Cairn Toralu, I'll cripple and maim and cause death and decay. Toralu, Toralu. I'll cripple and maim and cause death and decay. That was Irish folk singer Christy Moore with Nuke Power. Before that, Fred Hellerman from the Weavers with I'm Standing Outside of Your Shelter. And to kick off was Valdi with Hot Rocks. Utah Phillips is going to tell us a story next. It's about being a kid and watching the airplanes take off in the military field behind the house and disappear off into the wild blue yonder. One of them was an airplane called the Enola Gay. And many of you will remember that the Enola Gay was the airplane that dropped the first bomb on the human beings in a city called Hiroshima. And Utah has written this amazing song about the Enola Gay. Look out, look out. From your schoolroom window Look up, young children, from your play Wave your hand at the shining airplane Such a beautiful sight in the Nola Gay It's many a mile from the Utah desert To Tanian Island far away A standing guard by the barbed wire fences that hide the secret of Enola Gay High above the clouds In the sunlit silence So peaceful here I'd like to stay But there's many a pilot Who would swap his pension For a chance to fly Enola Gay What is that sound High above my city I rush outside and search the sky Now we are running to find the shelters The air raid sirens start to cry What will I say when my children ask me Where was I flying upon that day? With trembling voice I gave the order To the bombardier of an old Look out, look out From your schoolroom window Look up, young children From your play Your bright young eyes Will turn to ashes In the blinding light Of Enola Gay I turn to see The fireball rising My God, my God All I can say I hear a voice Within me crying my mother's name was Nola Gay. Look out, look out from your schoolroom window. Look up, young children, from your play. Uh, when you see those war planes flying, each one is named Nola Gay. Peace. 
as the breeze blows by Just a little breeze with some smoke in its eye What have they done to the rain? Just a little boy standing in the rain The gentle rain that falls Disappears and rain keeps falling like helpless tears. And what have they done to the rain? And what have they done to the rain? That was Joan Baez with What Have They Done to the Rain? And before that, Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest, singing a song he wrote about the Anola Gay. That's it for this week, folks. I'm Mitch Pollock. Solidarity. That's our show for this week. Thanks for being with us. We'll be here next week at this time. If you would like to send us a comment, write to alert at canadiandimension.com. To hear the show again or to hear any of our past shows, go to the Canadian Dimension website at canadiandimension.com and select Alert. The show is also podcast on rabble.ca. The executive producer of Alert is Canadian Dimension publisher Saigonic. Technical producers are Michael Welch and Tommy Allen. Alert headlines by Ben Wood. Around the Left by Ashley Titterton. Music is the Weapon by Mitch Podolik with technical production by Andrew Valvey. I'm Ashley Titterton. And I'm Michael Welch. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension magazine. 